G'day everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the Mongrel Punt podcast. We'll be covering the majority of round three in this effort, and it is an effort on a Sunday evening, believe me. <laughs> I'd like to introduce my lovely co-host, looking very attractive in her hoodie and pink workout top today. My gym gear. Your gym, and you didn't even go to the gym. <laughs> got down there and it got cancelled. Uh, well. Was that a Dan Andrews special? I love it. Or was it just a bad booking? Oh, I think it was my fault. <laughs> Great work. Um, <laughs> Mrs. Mungrel, purveyor of fine lasagna, uh, has outdone herself again today. So And a I'm, chocolate cake. And a chocolate cake. So I'm in a very, very good mood <laughs> this Sunday evening. I'm in a fat mood, but uh, <laughs> other than that, pretty happy. There's a few things we're going to get through this week. Uh, obviously, we're just going to touch on some of the big stories in the world of AFL. Um, but first of all, just want to thank everyone who's jumped on and become a member over the last week. We've had a bit of an influx, which is great. Um, pretty happy to to be received well by the football public and you know i'm really hoping that people jump on board with some of the ranking systems we've got going at the moment sure makes me a lot less sooky when you're uh watching every game <laughs> every week actually I, I haven't watched the the carlton and geelong game yet and that's probably the best finish of the week where i think uh, geelong came back from 40 points down and just fell short so over the next 24 hours we might get to sit down and enjoy that one too won't that be great oh how lovely for me yeah, well, you can talk about mm. Patrick Cripps and all that sort of stuff that you like. So, guys, if you, if you want to jump on and become a member, we'd really appreciate it. It kind of keeps us going. So, let's get into it. First point of call, the COVID exposure. Connor McKenna has uh, tested positive to to COVID-19 and has basically put Essendon's immediate future in doubt. He's um, not been a good boy from all reports and has visited an open house and also caught up with friends and family, which I believe is in direct contravention of the AFL guidelines slash rules that they handed down. What, like an open house, like an auction or that kind of open house? or? Well, I hope it's not some other sort that you can <laughs> just do whatever you want there. <laughs> Maybe it's like one of those B&B parties where like, hey, come over. We've rented this place for the weekend. I and mean, surely they've been told don't, don't go out and do stuff. Look, uh, I... I know there's some Essendon fans that listen to our podcast, and I don't want to disparage this bloke at all. But he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He played a game of Gaelic football last year when he buggered off back to Ireland for a little while in the middle of the season. So just went and played a... I suppose it's, it's not a professional sport over there. They don't get paid. But it's enough that he could have hurt himself and then decided not to tell the club. They found out. And he's talented enough that he's able to get away with this stuff. But then he had the whole episode of will he come back, won't he come back in the, in the off-season. He's kind of floated this will be his last year in, in the AFL as well. He's going to head home. And I'm like, I don't think his heart's in the game. His head definitely isn't in the game. So if he's going to be... He's, he's almost at the point now where he's a liability to this club, given that he's basically put their season at risk here. They may, and I say this on Sunday evening without you know really knowing what's going to come next from the AFL... But damn, why, why do you smile there? Because I'm just speculating. Like, oh, you're just, you're just talking crap now, yeah. Well, it gets us through about 45 minutes of the podcast, <laughs> usually. Um, it's going to give him, or give Essendon a right kick in the pants here. They, they may have to go into their next game, whether it be sometime this week or next week, with some players locked down in quarantine because they've had, had close contact with this guy. They may have a very, very slim pickings in terms of players to choose from. Imagine because he needed to go to an open house. COVID now. Imagine if it just absolutely rips through 
yeah, their I team. I don't think he'll be the the most popular fella in the in the club. Um, Part of me is like, well, you know, somebody was going to get it, and yeah. that's really sad, and it's horrible that somebody's being vilified. But at the same time, I'm like, oh no, you weren't supposed to do any of those things. Like, I understand, kind of. Had it been a guy whose kid went to school, came home, and you know, oh, I've picked up COVID somehow, you'd go, okay, no probs. He's obviously tried to do the right thing. And his kids come home and, and infected him, you know, whilst he was in quarantine or whilst he was at least trying to do, you know, trying to stay home and stay out of the way of everybody else. But if you're directly going against the guidelines you've been given, I find it very difficult to yeah, feel sorry for him. I understand everybody that Everybody does dumb stuff where they think, oh, I'm invincible. I'll be fine. Yeah, I do it. You do it all the and time. I get hurt all the time. <laughs> just like... So I'm con- constantly playing you with salads. <laughs> just so you know, we, put, we just put our daughter to bed and she's telling me to jump off the third step on the way down the stairs. And I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I've been having my my Achilles worked on for the past like two months. And I'm like, You're yeah, an yeah. idiot. Oh my God. I can, yeah, I wasn't supposed to tell you that. <laughs> but <laughs> I did anyway. So look, this is very much ear to the ground stuff around Conor McKenna and how it plays out for Essendon. You'd hate to think that this jeopardizes their run at the moment because they, they're coming off two wins, no losses. They're about to play Melbourne, who a lot of question marks over Melbourne. They could ostensibly have been top of the ladder after this game. And now where we've postponed the game, they may face a situation where they're se- severely de- depleted in terms of what they can play with. Regardless, this will rattle them. Uh, I don't I know. I think they'd be a bit... Mm, well, the ones that sort of have elderly loved ones in their house or people who are at risk and... As I said, if it was an accident, you'd excuse it. If it was something that was completely innocuous and you know your kid came home with, with COVID on his lips and gave you a kiss... <laughs> <laughs> you'd be, you'd probably be more inclined to go. Okay, well, shit happens. But if you're out and about and going and doing this and that, and then there's an infection, I'm sure there's some people that go like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, but yeah, it was a screw up. But yeah, it's a screw up. That's all it is—a screw up. Yeah, it's a screw up that may be costly. Speaking of costly, well, it's a very tenuous link. But the Adelaide Crows just a few hours ago got their ass absolutely handed to them by the Gold Coast Suns. And this is a, I think it was an, ended up being a nine goal belting. And right from the outset, Ooh. you're not a fan of Adelaide, are you? This is like the only tip I got right this week, isn't it? Yeah, I wasn't far behind it's you. It's been a bad, bad time. I think you got two. Did you get Collingwood as well? Oh yeah. yeah Don't I forget, did. we've got one game to come. After this, I'm going to watch the Fremantle and... And Port Adelaide game. Is anything... I can't remember who I picked, but I probably picked wrong. So I've just well, whoever given up. you picked, the other team's going to win. Disgraceful. So Mrs. Mungrel, priding herself on winning footy tips at the moment, it's her first year doing it. Pretty and pissed off. She's not happy with her results at all, and rightfully so. They're not good. The Adelaide, yeah. anyway, the Adelaide Crows. Let's get back on the subject here, since you told <laughs> me I have to be quick this week. <laughs> <laughs> the fall of the Adelaide Crows has been significant. They played in the played in a grand final in 2017. They look like a shell of a side now. They're, I'm looking at that team and I'm like, their best players. I'm not sure how many of them are going to be with that side in a couple of years' time. Tex Walker's 30. Didn't look like getting near it today, but wasn't really helped by the by the delivery to him at all. Just looks slow. Turns like a container ship. Just really has trouble getting involved. And the guy who's going <laughs> to sounds like me. 
<laughs> well, I did see you laying on the couch there while I was watching with your phone. Your daughter was jumping all over you. You were having a lot of trouble getting involved. It was hard work. So I think that looking at him today, he looks in a lot of trouble. And the young bloke who's going to take his spot, Darcy Fogarty, is reliant on the people in the midfield to deliver the ball well to him. And it's just not happening. The Crouch brothers, there was one point in the first quarter where Matt Crouch, he's only 25 years old, he looked like he could not give a rat's ass about what was going on there, didn't run hard, was playing around with the ball in the back line, got caught holding the ball and cost him, I think, at least a shot at goal. Their other captain, or the captain is 30 years old, Rory Sloan. Tom Lynch is 29. None of these players are going to be around. I I, I think the Crouch brothers will probably get traded away the way they're going. But Lynch will probably be gone by the time they contend again. Sloan will definitely be gone. Walker will be gone. I'm looking at their lineup and I can't see a hell of a lot of people coming through at the moment to take the spot of those guys. Brad Crouch was offered a fair whack of money by the Gold Coast in the offseason and whatever reason that wasn't that didn't come to fruition. It would have had to have been traded for. And what Adelaide were asking for, Gold Coast weren't willing to pay. And watching him at the moment, I'm not really sure that he's worth that. He'd be a nice top-up player for some teams, but for a team like Gold Coast, the way that they are building at the moment, I'm not sure they need someone like Brad Crouch at all. So you look at the Suns, in contrast, and they were belted a couple of years ago for giving up pick two for a kid called Lockie Weller. Lockie Weller's actually 24 now, I think, so he's not a kid per se. They gave up pick two, Fremantle picked Andrew Brayshaw with it, and he's 20 years old, so it's too soon to judge who got the better of that trade. At the time, people were saying the Gold Coast were complete idiots for that trade. They gave up a, a huge commodity in pick two, really highly valued pick, to get their hands on someone who hadn't set the world on fire at Fremantle at all. But now, 24 years old, he's starting to look really, really good. And in the scheme of where they are, He's going to be one of those middle-aged players. When I say middle-aged, like mid-20s. <laughs> which is middle-aged in That's 40 middle-aged terms. now, is it? Okay. That is it's one depressing. of the, the, the cooler heads in the team as kids like Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson and eventually, hopefully, Isaac Rankin come through the ranks. They picked up Greenwood and Alice. 13 tackles for Greenwood today and 8 clearances. So they got him because he's a big body, can stand up in the middle, can take the heat and still just not get knocked about. Then you had a guy like Brandon Ellis, who they got from Richmond, who ran his ass off in the first quarter. I think he laid three big tackles, not just your regular ones where you hold on to someone and they you know, kind of stagger about. He really nailed three big tackles, including one that damaged uh, the, the shoulder of a guy called Rory Atkins, put him out for the rest of the game. He might be looked at for that. At, someone might call it a sling tackle, but from what I could see... Rory Atkins is trying to get a kick away. As soon as you do that, you lose balance. You throw on your leg at the ball. You automatically swing around. And it was almost as though his momentum aided the tackle of Alice, who just who just pummeled him into the ground. There was... Yeah, you smile when you say looking that. Looking at it as a neutral fan, after seeing Gold Coast get whacked for so long, it's almost a bit gratifying to see them do that to someone else and bully a team. They really bullied the, the Crows today. The other one we want to touch on is Matt Rowe. So I've got a little stat here. There's been three players this season who have had 20 touches and 10 tackles in a game. Matt Rowe did it today. Lockie Neal did it in round one. And Elliot Yo did it in round two. No other players have done it. 
This is his third game. When you add goals scored into it, you rule Elliot Yo out, kicked zero goals. When he did it, Lockie Neal kicked one. Matt Rowe kicked two goals today as well. He's the only player with 20 touches, 10 tackles, and two goals in a game this season, and he did it in his third game of footy. So for people who are asking, is the hype worth it? Is he a good player? He's already a good player, and he will become a very, very good one. I don't know what his ceiling is, but last week I compared him to Michael Voss, who is a triple premiership player for Brisbane, Brownlow medalist, hard as nails. So we'll see how he goes, but quite an auspicious start by the young fella. In the next Mrs. Mungrel tipping special... <laughs> Richmond lost to Hawthorne oh, far out. on Thursday night. And um, you were paying, uh, kind of half paying attention to the game. And all I heard was just grunts of disapproval every time Hawthorne kicked a goal. I think you're halfway through the weekend. Your comment was, why are all the shit teams winning? I'm real mad. <laughs> really mad. I mean, I betray our team. Often. And it, and it doesn't pay off. Yes, well, I also betrayed our team and tipped against them. I didn't see it coming. This win. They played out of their skin, Hawthorne. They were fantastic. Gee, they looked good, though. They got the ball and ran. Those, they took them on. Though they all have... They look great. <laughs> now, you're a bit of a fan of the uniforms, aren't you? <laughs> I can't believe how slimming those uniforms look. Yeah, Everybody it's not that they, has not that they played this great. phenomenal waistline, and I'm just like, what is happening there? They look great. Someone, no, I don't, I don't someone like Jack Gunston. But they look great. Someone like Jack Gunston, he looks like his hips couldn't even keep his pants up. I just... He's so thin through the stomach and stuff. Like, obviously strong through the core. But you really like... You're the only person I've ever, I've ever talked to who think the Hawthorne Guernseys look good. They look good. The boys look good in them. The boys look good. Mm. People are a bit worried about Richmond. There's a lot of talk about Jack Revolt being down and not, not getting involved in the game until you know, pretty late in the piece. Even then, I, I'm not sure he kicked a goal. But he... He said he looked... Slimmer than usual, like smaller than usual. I saw a picture of him with his top off last year because that's the sort of stuff I look at. <laughs> and he looked really thin then, and he looks even thinner again. Like, obviously, the older you get, I think Luke Hodge was saying you, you drop a kilo a year to try and maintain. Compensate. Yeah, for, for the wear and tear on your body. <laughs> but Revolt's, p- part, of his, part of his strength is that he can you know, hold people off and take big marks and... Obviously, the conditions haven't really worked for him this year. He is coming off five goals in the grand final, so you you can't really be too down on him. But this year, he hasn't produced at all. So Hasn't been much of a year. Not yet. Three games in. Dion Prestia, a little bit down as well. I reckon he's ultra important to this Richmond midfield. A lot of people were talking about Dustin Martin not being around and what impact that has, and it's obviously significant. But Prestia, is, he's like their engine room when he's working hard. Richmond look good. Daniel Rioli is the big issue at Richmond. He's coming off back-to-back six-possession performances, zero impact, and I'm pretty sure he was dropped last year back to the VFL. Now, if he's producing this sort of stuff, there's no VFL at the moment. But whatever they're doing, playing scratch matches or you know, intra-club matches, he needs to go back and find a bit of form there because he looks like he's cruising around doing bugger all. And he's not really earning his spot in that team. So during the week, we produced an article about Clayton Oliver. And he's the lovely red-headed young man from Melbourne, 22 years old. Melbourne. Yeah. 
Melbourne wears red and blue. Yeah. They have Max Gorn on it, on their team. Yeah. Who's the Suns guy? That's Matt Rowell. This is a different red-headed guy. There's I'm more than totally one. I'm totally confused. I've... Yeah, all right. So we got a bit of blowback from the article from a few Carlton fans who sent me a message basically saying that we use this opportunity to promote Clayton Oliver and what he's bringing to the game as a shot at Patrick Cripps. Now, it's just coincidence that Oliver did the job on Patrick Cripps that week. We saw what Patrick Cripps did this week, came out and got 12 clearances or whatever he did against Geelong. So, he, yeah, he's obviously a superstar of the game. I don't know that you're that intricate, to be honest. I'm very intricate, Wouldn't and I don't just... even know what context you're talking in here. <laughs> Wouldn't you just write an article about Patrick Cripps? Oh, no, I'm very underhanded. If you to take a shot at him. No, 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 really underhanded <laughs> I am, apparently. So um, people were telling me that it wasn't really a piece on, on Clayton Oliver as much as it was a shot at Patrick Cripps. Now, I watched that game with a particular focus on those two, and Patrick Cripps played okay. Like, he went forward and, and did some real damage later on. But Clayton Oliver, when they were in the middle, through the first three and a half quarters, did a bang-up job on Cripps, and I thought he was just as influential, probably more so than any other player on the ground, because he was winning his own ball, and he was preventing Cripps from having an influence. So his, his impact was twofold. Do you think the people are just really passionate because who Patrick Cripps is Geelong? No, he's Carlton. Oh my gosh. He's Carlton? Yeah, I know. They, they both win navy blue. Look, that's their own problem. They made horrible <laughs> mistakes. That's okay. Everybody everybody makes mistakes. Patrick Cripps has carried Carlton for the last Carlton. few years. Do you think that maybe they just love him so much they can't bear to have anything bad said about him? It wasn't anything bad. But even they can't bear to the idea that maybe somebody else got the best of him. The thing is, someone will always get the best of someone. And Cripps will more than likely get the best of most. But he's not going to be the best player on the ground every single week. Last year, I think Matt DeBoer at, at GWS gave him an absolute hiding at one point And looked to me like Cripps kind of threw in the tail that day. It was pretty close to when their coach got sacked. And I wonder whether Cripps' attitude at the that twin. point... Was no, that that's Geelong you're thinking oh. of again. <laughs> So, sorry. Yeah, you're not sorry because you always do it. Um, <laughs> so, Cripps had a couple of back-to-back performances last year that weren't real good. One, one he was tagged in, and one he was just off the boil. Pretty soon after that, their coach Brendan Bolton was shown the door, and I wonder whether it was the drop-off in Cripps's form and his attitude. If he, even if he didn't say anything, people kind of reading the room and saying, "Well, geez, he doesn't seem too happy. We need to act before this guy cracks the shits." So not that it's his fault, and I would never point the finger at him, but there would have been people looking at that going like, let's move on this now. Let's, you know, Cripper's dropping off here as well. We need to make a move. Let's nip this in the bud and get, get new blood in the coaching box. Speculation yet again. Back to Oliver. He's 22. Uh, he turns 23 in a week or two. So he's about two and a half years younger than Cripps. He's got two best and fairest awards. Cripps has got three. People say he's underrated due to playing on a, on a pretty shitty team. And I get that. But so has Cripps for the last however many years as well. Oliver's played on a pretty shitty team. And he's also played on, played on a pretty good team in 2018 where they got into the preliminary final. So 
let's let's wait a couple of seasons. Let's see how Clayton Oliver goes. He's not the best kick in the world, but neither is Patrick Cripps, I don't think, anyway. He missed two goals from set shots against uh, Melbourne last week. So, you know, he's not, not the greatest at that either. Let's wait a couple of couple of years and see how Cripps and Oliver shape up because to compare a 25 year old to a 22 year old he's got a lot of development to go Oliver and he's going to be an absolute gun for many many years I had to google him just then I was so perplexed twice I've convinced myself I knew which person he was and I and no and did you it looks a bit like Ron Weasley have you have you no there's another guy that does oh look we might jump to the dogs and giants because that was very very interesting on Friday night of course, the Giants without Toby Green, which probably took a little bit of heat out of the game, I think, which is quite amazing since they absolutely hate each other, these teams. But credit to the Dogs, they they stood up. They did what they had to. They took the heat from GWS. And GWS heat, let me point out, it was all... It, it wasn't genuine aggression. It was push and shove, look at me, hold me back kind of... Bit of posturing. Oh, there's a heap of posturing. A lot of jumpers being torn. I mean, no one gives a shit if their jumper gets torn. I, I That's care, my I kinda, favourite part of the game. <laughs> I kind of care if my, my pants get ripped off. I'd be a little bit concerned. Again, my other favourite part of the game. <laughs> but in terms of actually applying genuine physical pressure, it was actually the Bulldogs that did it. So a guy called Aaron Norton bodylined the ball. First opportunity to really impact and, and collect the player. Did it, and he collected Lockie Whitfield completely legally. And people were saying, oh, will he go for that? Will he be reported? If he had been reported for that, that was stick a fork in the competition. It was done. Because he was running directly at the ball, bent down to pick it up. Lockie Whitfield lent in. Lent? Leaned? Did one of those things. And <laughs> Norton's just cracked him with his shoulder. Put him out of the game with concussion. And from that point on, it just looked like the Western Bulldogs meant business. When I look at the the brawl, the brawl, the melee at the end of the third quarter, again, push, shove, no one actually doing anything that was remarkably violent, which is not what I'm advocating for. But Did they have a fight? It was a push and shove, and that's all it ever is in the AFL. So if I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, that's not the aggression I wanted to see. <laughs> you wanted a full No, <laughs> you're not listening. No, the you aggression wanted I wanted proper to see, pressure. You wanted... I wanted the, the kind of stuff that Norton did on Whitfield. When you have the chance to take a player out in the play, that you do it. And GWS didn't do that. A lot of posturing, a lot of talk about how they've bullied the dogs in the past, and they didn't do it this time. They didn't have the, the cattle to do it. I want to talk about the Eagles for a minute. We've got quite a few West Coast Eagles readers and just got a bit of a point here. They've, they're playing up in Queensland. Their last two games have been in the evening. It's been dewy and they've been beaten twice. So the ball gets a little bit slippery, a little bit wet. It's pretty humid up in, up in Queensland as well. So not great conditions. Everything gets a little bit harder. There's a bit of dew on the grass. You can't grip the ball perfectly. And West Coast are a very, very skillful side. Their forward line at the moment is not functioning. And yeah, their mids are bombing it in there and hoping that Jack Darling or Josh Kennedy can take a mark, and they're not doing it. They're playing on good defenses, and they're just nowhere near it. Josh Kennedy, this season, is averaging 4.7 disposals and 0.7 goals per game over the first three weeks. They play Port Adelaide next week. They play them in the day, so I'd leave him in. 
and let him get a run with a bit of the dry ball, unless it absolutely pisses down up there, that'd be horrible. But if he goes into that game, gets a bit of confidence, I'd actually rest him in the last game of that hub session up there. They're playing Richmond, who love the wet weather, got a really solid defence, and I can't see him having a big impact if they're playing in the evening, which they are. So I don't know who they can bring in. There's a guy called Jared Cameron, who's the younger brother of Charlie Cameron, who you like, from Brisbane. He's young. His younger brother's at West Coast. That's nice. If he's fit, I'd be slotting him in there. Leave Darling in there, leave one tall, have Cripps around him, have Liam Ryan around him, throw Jared Cameron in there. Small guys, skillful, and hopefully they can actually pull out a win along the way because if they go back to Western Australia, hopefully, with a losing record out of this hub, that's a disastrous result for those guys. And I reckon a player like Willie Rioli would make a massive difference up there in those sort of conditions, but we still haven't heard anything around his drug-related suspension for his peeing in the... Or tipping Gatorade or Powerade. Don't want to upset any sponsors that we don't have. (laughs) (laughs) So I only looked at some highlights of the Cats and the Blues, and as tends to happen, the mistakes are highlighted. So, the guy called Asava Radagalia, great name, and he looks like a genuine athlete. I don't want to disparage him at all, but he looks like an athlete. He does not look like a footballer. At one point, there's a very, very big difference. He doesn't have what's, what's termed natural skill. He looks like he's learning the game as he goes. Great leap, you know, big body, but in terms of natural football instincts, looks like he's a bit lost. So at one point, Tom Hawkins had a long shot. Tom Hawkins, the guy that you don't particularly love. He's a cat. He is a cat. Mm, keep going. He's an absolute cat. Anyway, he had a shot from a fair way out. Radagalia jumped up on the line and punched the ball back into play. Not with one hand, with two hands. So he could have marked it. And he was the only guy that touched it. So had he let it go, it's a goal. Had he marked it, it's a mark. He punches it back into play, and play goes on, and Geelong do not score. Mm. So there's one screw-up late in the game. Next, Gary Ablett missed a goal from about 15 metres out that he would kick, I was going to say 99 times out of 100. I reckon more like 499 times out of 500. He'd slot that, and he somehow managed to miss it. A few minutes later, and with the scores you know, really close at this stage... Brian Myers. My favourite. Yes, why is he your favourite? Because he looks like that children's character, Grug. He's almost a spitting image. (laughs) So a free kick was paid to his teammate about 30 30 metres out from goal. Pretty good kick at goal, this guy, Gary Rowan. Myers picked up the ball, played on, snapped at goal, and one of the Carlton players ran across and touched it through. So instead of the Cats getting the goal for it, or, or a certain shot at goal, they would have... I say would have, but they probably would have converted. He took it upon himself to run and snap a kick towards goal under pressure. And the Carlton defender was onto it, stopped it on the line. So big, big screw-ups all the way around. Most of the Geelong people I know have said had they got away with that win, it would have been complete robbery. They were beaten Mm. for, for three quarters and beaten soundly. What we did get to see was Eddie Betts get a couple of genuine... Genuine moments back in a Carlton jersey. So I'm still not sold on what he's going to bring to the club ongoing, but seeing him play a a big role 
at the end of the game was fantastic. He he kind of cleared the ball out towards the middle, ran onto it, and a Geelong guy picked it up. A guy called Jack Henry running towards his left foot. He can't kick left foot, so he stopped and tried to turn back the other way. Betts tackled him, caught him, got a free kick, game over. So it basically stymied any chance that Geelong had to go on forward and win the game. Uh, Jacob Wiedering, I'll touch on a bit more in a second. He and Sam Doherty have given the the defence back there a fantastic defensive duo. It allows others to settle into role-playing kind of roles. So you, you, Liam Jones and Cade Simpson, they don't have to be the stars back there anymore. Wiedering's a star, and Doherty has emerged from two knee reconstructions better than anyone thought that he was going to. I thought he'd take half the season to kind of warm back into it. And he's been exceptional. You've had two, haven't you? I've had two knee operations, yes. Hmm. And while I spoke about Crips before... (laughs) Thanks for pointing that out. (laughs) While I spoke about Crips before, uh, I spoke about him getting beat, but he wasn't beaten this week. He was fantastic. 12 clearances in a shortened game is ridiculous. And given the amount of contested possessions he gets, he still ran at 75% efficiency. And it's a shame that someone like Dangerfield, who Nick Sluggett, in his review, called Clangerfield, I think he ran at something like 48% on the night. What's a clanger? That's when you completely cock something up. So you get the ball and you kick it straight to the opposition, or you lose it, or you get a free kick against you, or something like that. So at work, if I say to someone, oh, that's a clanger, when they really screw up... They'll know what you mean. If they they follow football, they'll know what you mean. Otherwise, I just think you're... There's something wrong with you. Oh, I think they already do. That ship has sailed. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, before we jump onto this other subject I've got here, I just want to point out that there's been no player who's been as good in the midfield this year to start 2020 as Lockie Neal at Brisbane. He's been incredible. I touched on one of his games before where he had 20-something touches and 10 tackles. But he's been brilliant. He was again on the weekend, 32 touches, he could have eight Brownlow votes at this point. And if people are saying, oh, it's a tainted Brownlow, or it's a tainted premiership, to that I say Why? bullshit. Oh, they're, they're saying because it's, it's different. shorter quarters, shorter season. All the teams are playing the same amount of games. Yeah, it's all, it's even, isn't it? And he his ability in the wet to take the ball in for with one grab. So I spoke before about West Coast fumbling it and struggling in the conditions. Lockie Neal, I don't think he double grabbed at a ball all night. I called it the the Joe Ganino award he got for being able to handle slippery balls. <laughs> so he was excellent. Lockie oh Neal wins the Joe Ganino award this year, this week and he could go on to win the Brownlow this year. He's been absolutely excellent. The all Australian defence at the moment would be very, very interesting to, to cast your eye over because there's players who who are really making the claim. On a spot, Jeremy Howe from Collingwood would almost walk into the team at the moment. But Jacob Wiedering at Carlton would really be pressuring. Probably centre-half back spot, you'd be looking at him. Harris Andrews is probably the front-runner to fit in at full-back. But Sam Doherty I spoke about before. I didn't expect him to be this good coming back. He's been absolutely exceptional as a rebounder for Carlton. And if you're looking at... Looking at someone who's gaining metres every week, rebounding out of 50, intercepting, making space. He, I don't think there's anyone better in the game at the moment. And that's that's saying something, because I expect him to be better next season again. Once he gets another preseason underneath his belt, he'll be running around like a maniac out there. Tom Barris, in an under-siege West Coast 
backline has been excellent. Sam Collins for Gold Coast has been a massive surprise pack. Darcy Moore at Collingwood as well. Basher Hawley and Nick Flastoon at, at Richmond. And Dylan Grimes. People aren't even talking about him anymore, and I can't believe it. He was the, the breakout defensive star last year, made the All-Australian team, took the spot of Alex Rance, and really, this year, he's kind of taken a bit of a backseat, I think, to, to some of the other names in the competition. That said, we're three games down out of 17 and a long way to go. So that'll do us for this week. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back probably same time next week with something relatively similar and possibly even better. Thank you, Mrs. Mungrel. Yep. Yep, great work again. Cheers, guys. So I'm just jumping back on here after the Port, Port Adelaide Fremantle game. Mrs. Mungrel is no longer with us in the best possible way. She's gone to bed. But a really impressive game from Charlie Dixon in the wet. I mean, I've harped on a little bit before about the West Coast forwards not being able to perform in the in the wet. And he just came out and absolutely ripped it to shreds while it was pouring with rain, took contested marks, and demonstrated that a good forward can still have a big impact in the wet if they know what the hell they're doing. So he was really, really good. They come up against West Coast next week, so this is going to be a bit of a do-or-die game. There's quite a few of them next week. You've got GWS versus Collingwood. The Giants will be looking to get back on the board here. They're coming up against possibly the best-performed team in the competition to date. Collingwood have looked fantastic, know how to shut the game down. And unless GWS get their running game going, they could be in awful trouble here. And we could end up with uh, the grand finalists really struggling four games into the season. Port and West Coast, the Eagles will be desperately looking to avoid going one and three. And they've still got a game against Richmond to come in round five. That could be season-defining. And if they can, they can match up against Port in the day, this will be a big thing. They can keep Josh Kennedy, Jack Darling on board for the daytime game. But, geez, if they don't perform in that game... I'd be looking at resting, perhaps, Kennedy for the Richmond game and going a bit small. Then you've got the Suns and the Dockers. The Dockers now sit at 0-3. and three. The Suns at 2-1, and one, which is pretty much commensurate with what we saw last year from them. But this season, there seems to be a bit about the Suns. They're looking like they, they might be a vastly improved unit, not just a flash in the pan. So if they can come out and take it up to the Dockers early... It's going to be a wet, dewy kind of game again in the evening. Matt Tabiner looked good for the Dockers early in this you know, in this game today. But uh, as soon as the rain came down and it got a bit wet, he wasn't clunking marks at all either anymore. So the Suns you know, could ostensibly be 3-1 and one after four rounds, and I don't think many of us saw that coming. Last thing I want to touch on here is the injury to Xavier Dersma, who looked to tear a hamstring pretty severely. In the, I think it was the third quarter, he was running flat out. He's only a young fella. I mean, I didn't tear a hamstring until I was late 20s and I was able to run pretty freely all through my 20s. Um, if only that was the case right now. And I wonder, it could be a you know four to five, maybe even a six-week injury the way he pulled up. He's been fantastic for them this season so far, provided plenty of run. In our wingman rankings, I think he was fifth overall. So really came on, really was kicking goals this year running forward, and he wasn't exactly setting the world on fire today, but you know he's a valuable piece to that puzzle. So that'll do us for the week. Mrs. Mungrel, hope she's sleeping very well, and uh, we'll catch up with you this time next week. Cheers, guys.